and welcome to the Resin Jack Podcast, where I bring you all things resin flooring straight to your ears. The title of today's uh, episode is Sealers. Now, although that can be tremendously broad, this particular post discusses sealers over a cementitious overlay. And I'd probably say uh, lack of sealers or inadequate resealing when you look at the image. So when I'm trying to describe the image, it's um, it's a cafe environment. It's um, someone's applied a, a cementitious type overlay and they've got some trowel licks in it to create some patterns and not just licks as different. You can see they've stroked it both ways to create um, you know, texturing and patterns and they've broken it up a bit here and there and so forth. It's not an unusual look to the pattern. The problem with this particular floor and a cafe floor is that it is extremely dirty. It is grotty, black in a lot of places in the high traffic areas and um, not that appealing, not that suitable, you know, which is what prompted this, this question. So the question I ask is take a look at the photo of this floor in a cafe. The owner of the cafe has clearly given up trying to clean the cement-based overlay. There are requirements about slip ratings in cafes, but should there be guidelines slash requirements for what is acceptable as far as sealing the finish? The first uh, comment comes from Abe Padwadan. He's the owner of Site Solutions in Mumbai, India, a consultant with over 34 years of, of very diverse experience from resins and waterproofing through to intumescent coatings and injection foams. So a very knowledge, knowledgeable uh, contributor, and I always appreciate his outlook. His... Comment is, nice post, Jack. I presume maybe either some sort of compromise on selection and application of the product on grounds of price. Generally, in case of industrial projects, mostly lowest cost criteria applied, ignoring cost versus performance factor. Of course, this is my view, may be wrong. Um, grammatically on these comments, it's sometimes a bit hard to grasp what it is, but I think he's he's making a point that this this could be an example of a price uh, driven job, and it's often a race to the bottom. Meaning that the cafe owner may not have known that this floor required resealing, or um, you know, it might have been very hard to clean. They were more interested in the price up front and getting their shop open and trading. Um, so I think that's that's how I'm interpreting Abby's comment there. I reply, thank you, Abby, for your comments and kind words. It is appreciated. Yes, far too often we see cost drive the system choice. At what point do we say enough? If we'd had an industry benchmark, would that give us the lowest acceptable outcome that we could all stand by or would it still be ignored? Take care, Resin Jack. Abby does reply and he says... Um, uh, Jack, I agree with your comment. Benchmarks should be set for different systems and specifications. So I guess 
my point there is that um, in our industry, we've all been pressured by clients, whether that's builders or specifiers or homeowners or retail shop owners or whatever it is to deliver a cheap floor because that's all that they have in their budget. But much like other professions, there is a minimum standard that is acceptable. And if you deliver a result below that minimum standard, then you, you can lose your license. You can lose your professionalism. You, um, and it doesn't matter what the client has asked for. You have an accountability to deliver a certain standard. And maybe that's a little bit idealistic. Maybe that's a bit over the top when it comes to flooring. But in a cafe floor situation, it's a food not necessarily preparation, but certainly presentation. It is an environment where I think the floors should be appealing. They should be fully sealed and they should be able to be cleaned easily. So that's the angle that I come at it from the benchmark and Abby does tend to agree. Let's see what other comments uh, arise. Nick Megson is the next contributor. He's the Managing Director of Abacus Flooring Solutions. With over 34 years in resin flooring, he's a proud member of FERFA, which is the UK Flooring uh, Federation. And he's an advocate of recycling and sustainability. Nick's comment is, uh, at least a huge trail marks could be classed as slip resistance, in brackets, ha ha. Um, grind it, start again, Clearly, ambition and ability were mixed more than the materials. Uh, I reply, thank you for your comment, Nick. I have experienced plenty of clients who had the mental image of what they wanted, and this could be one of those cases. On the other hand, you could be right, and it's a case of paying for your education. Thanks again, Nick, for your comment. Take care, Jack. So just touching on, on the points there, um, Obviously, Nick does agree that there should be a degree of slip resistance in there. And uh, however crude the trowel licks are, they're not a consistent slip resistance, so it just can't be about that. It can be the case where if this floor was sealed too much and too closed off, then it itself could present as a slip resistance, and maybe that was the concern as well, that they didn't want to have a floor that was now slippery when wet. So that you know that's providing an objective outlook on it and a bit of benefit of the doubt. My points in that in my reply there is also that we've also often or, or we've probably all experienced scenarios where the client has a mental image of what it is that they want, the, the appearance that they want, the decor that they want, the the feel of their restaurant or cafe or shop or home or whatever it is, they have this mental image, but they, they firstly don't necessarily know how to get it. They may have seen images in, in um, uh, magazines or, or something where they go, I want that look, but they don't know what it costs, what the system even is, and now the installer is... is you know, given a set budget and this mental image of what is acceptable to the client and whether they can deliver it or not is a whole different challenge. The, the other hand example I talk about is, 
you know, as a result of that type of scenario where you take on a project where you're trying to deliver a client's result and for a budget and you may not have got there, this may be one of those examples where you've you've delivered a result, you're not actually satisfied with it. The client is satisfied with it because it's what they pictured and you're sitting there saying, well, what do I do? And it's only after you have learned the lesson that you have the education. So that's what I say by, you know, you're paying for your education one way or another. Um, I'm not saying right or wrong. I guess I'm just trying to provide an objective outlook on it and, and see what can be done. I hold my opinion about what this type of floor finish should be, but let's, let's keep going with the comments. Bruce Paulson is a business owner from Ringus Group in Sydney, Australia. You would know Bruce from previous podcast episodes. He's a knowledgeable guy that has been in the industry for over 20 years. He has a very broad understanding and interest in, in all facets of flooring from prep and underlayment, coatings through to polishing. He is, uh, I've said it before, he is one of those ones that applies his education to take on the challenging roles. He comes up with out-of-the-box thinking on many applications that I've seen and worked with him on, and his, uh, his input is always appreciated. Um, Bruce's comment is, I think they forgot to finish the works off. I think he's meaning by a sealer. This is an industrial finish and is not fit for purpose in a customer area or uh, of a restaurant or a cafe, impossible to clean to a hygienic standard. The type of sealer will always depend on what the floor is used for, in brackets, fit for purpose. The sealer will also be selected for the kind of traffic, again, in brackets, fit for purpose, and so on. So to answer the question, there are many factors involved, including cost. Unfortunately, cost usually overrides fitness for purpose. I respond to Bruce by saying, thank you, Bruce, for your comment. One of the most subjective terms I hear in our industry is fitness for purpose. I know what you mean by the term, and I know the intent that it is meant to convey, but the practicality is that until there is a benchmark of some form, we'll continue to see flaws that are harmful to the reputation of our industry. I'm not sure that the cafe owner would choose a resin floor again, irrespective of the cost let alone the thousands of customers that sit down to enjoy their meal and catch a glimpse of that filthy floor. Thanks again for your input. It is a valuable comment and the right sealer would most likely have resolved most of the issues raised on this point. Uh, just scanning through Bruce's comment to see if there's anything there that we need to touch on. Uh, he's He's obviously touching on two key points. One is the ability to, like it's hygienic, you have to have it closed off. You have to be able to clean it and it can cope with the durability requirements. So it has the wear capability. Good points. The next comment comes from Michael Durra. He's the business owner of Queensland Regional Flooring in Queensland, Australia. Is an experienced floor layer, including carpet, vinyl, and timber finishing. More recently, he moved into polished concrete and resin flooring. He now owns and operates a floor covering retail outlet. Michael, uh, Michael's comment is, the first thing I'd say is these feather finish render look messes need to stop. 
I don't think I've seen one yet that looks any better than what kindy kids do in mud. As far as specifications, I think they're made up on the back of a napkin like our NBN business plan. <laughs> I'll, I will clarify that one. With regards to a sealer, I guess it would be 100% solids PU or polyaspartic. I reply, thanks, Michael, for your thoughts. I do like a rustic look, so I'm not quite prepared to throw the concept in the bin. I do, however, agree that there needs to be a set system of how to achieve a great result each time. I do wonder how to ensure that the system is adhered to every time. Take care, Resin Jack. Uh, Michael responds, I too like the rustic look floor, but this is not what I'd consider rustic. My reply, fair call, Michael. I was trying to imagine what it looked like when it was first done. So I guess Michael is making the point that, um, and I'd have to agree, I have seen a lot of these cementitious trowel down looks. They aren't particularly successful in many cases, they they're not they're not attractive, and particularly not if they're unsealed like this. Um, there are some really beautiful micro toppings out there that uh, I think are a better alternative, and it's generally because they are finished consistently, meaning they're not the trowel licks aren't quite like this. They're a bit softer. It's a bit more uh, blended. And they are generally sealed well as part of the service and micro toppings aren't necessarily a cheap alternative, but it, this floor here has that feel that it was, it was put down cheaply. Um, if a sealer was used, it was not enough and it would need to be cleaned and resealed to, to bring it back to some decent level. Uh, I will just add while I'm on the topic, I do, I do have a, a second photo of this floor that I've included on the post at resinfloor.org. If you look up the podcast episode 15, you will see this post, these images, and um, you'll see the second photo as well. Um, yeah, and just to finish off that little thread there, I, even though I sit there now and we, we can look critically at this finished photo, sometimes it is hard for us to see what a floor is going to look like down the track. Um, it finishes well and it may present well in one particular application, but in this particular application, it may not present well. And I'll give you an example of that. Um, Years ago, I was involved in rolling out a new resin flooring system in Baskin Robbins stores. And this particular floor was customized. It was a marbled metallic look. It was customized to suit the Baskin Robbins color. It was beautifully in line with the decor. We were able to roll it out nationally across a lot of different stores, installed by a lot of different installers. But we had a set process of doing it, so we, we got a consistent result. What wasn't consistent, though, was that in one particular store, they weren't very good at cleaning it. So um, it ended up with a lot of scuff marks. And what was also important to note there is that this Baskin Robin store 
was located opposite a school. So the scuffing and black scuffing marks was a lot to do with the school shoes that came across. And obviously the, the floor had been, you know, the system that was developed was easy to clean in all sorts of environments. And it was proven by all the other stores. But in this one particular store, they had a hard time cleaning off these black scuff marks and therefore the floor looked dirty. So it was not predicted that we would have that type of problem on that floor. Um, but it, it showed that um, even though you can get consistent result across a lot of different areas, um, it may not work in one particular application or may not work as well in one particular application. That may not be the case here, but I thought I'd share the example because it helps us to just consider when we're next looking at a flooring specification or application, there's a little bit more to just think about than um, you know, whether you've done it before and it worked before. The next comment comes from Kelsey Batita. And forgive me, Kelsey, if I mispronounce your surname. She is uh, applicator support with Westcote in San Diego, USA. With over five years in the industry, she started in the sales role, worked through marketing, and is now enjoying the role as applicator support specialist. Kelsey's comment is, water-based polyurethanes are great for indoor dining spaces, superior chemical resistance, USDA, FDA compliant, and easy cleanability. Add in some non-slip additives for an all-round safe and durable sealer. There are also antimicrobial epoxy products. Uh, this can act as a coating or a primer and protects against the growth of fungi, algae, bacteria, and bacteria. Uh, guidelines should absolutely require restaurant flooring to be FDA, USDA compliant, seamless and non-slip to ensure the cleanest and safest atmosphere, especially in these COVID times. Great topic. I reply, thank you for your input, Kelsey. You mentioned US, um, USDA, FDA compliance. Is there a specific criteria that focuses on cleanability? Now, unfortunately, Kelsey didn't reply, uh, but I do, this, I guess this is a benchmark of sorts. It's not a consistent benchmark because it is, it is tied in with um, USDA, FDA. So I don't even know if that would apply in every situation. If it was a resin flooring standard or benchmark, well, then there's no excuses. It, it, it would have to be adopted and looked at as some kind of guide for the industry for comparison purposes and, and what's acceptable as a minimum. Perhaps the FDA requirements is a step up on the minimum. But I like the fact that she's, she's mentioned it, uh, talks about all the key points there as far as cleanability, uh, slip resistance, um, the additional thoughts around antimicrobial certainly applies in, in certain sectors. I know in the, in the lab sectors, food processing. Um, this is an outdoor dining or undercover outdoor dining area. You see a lot of those areas that are concrete, like bare concrete. I mean, talk about a porous 
place where bacteria can can hide. Um, this is a step up on that, but it just looks terrible. Can't be cleaned that easily. Um, yeah, th thank you. Um, thank you, Kelsey, for that input. The next comment is from Stephen Hagar, technical manager. He calls himself retired, but it's not true. He is, uh, he is a silverback with Resin Flooring International and he's from Gainsborough, UK. Now, I tell the story that I recalled when Stephen first said he was going to retire. I didn't know him, but I saw the amount of experience he had, a 40-year veteran, and um, I reached out to him. And, and before we even had RFI, I talked about the idea of wanting to keep silverbacks, the, the knowledgeable people in our industry, um, available to our industry if, if you know you can prevent if you can prevent people repeating the same mistakes that have already happened before like that Stephen has already seen or, or done before then your industry evolves if it doesn't if you can't share that knowledge if you don't have a way of passing that on then you just end up repeating the same mistakes and you know that that line of thinking is exactly why we have this podcast it's exactly why we go through these types of posts on different media so people that want to read it can go and read it for people that have time to to listen to it they will listen to it but it's all about sharing that knowledge and uh, one particular point i'll raise about Stephen and and anyone in the industry um is that if he has knowledge that has been in manufacturing the technical support side of things and the installation side of things. So he's he's got that closed loop understanding right from formulating manufacturing through to installation. And that's also my background. And it's important to have that full cycle because then you can explain every facet of what's happening and you can identify where it's come from and why it might be a problem. So he is one of those ones. He's got twice as much experience as myself as far as number of years. And he's why I wanted him to be one of the, the first silverbacks in RFI. Now, back to the, his comment. Um, Stephen says, whatever is laid is not fit for purpose. There are many sealers, especially PU-based, polyurethane-based, that would do a good job. I would remove it and use something that would work. I reply, thanks, Stephen, for your comment. I gather you're suggesting to remove the lot and start again. I'm not sure how effectively you could clean and remove just the sealer. He believes that you should be able to, he goes on to say, you should be able to um, just remove with light sanding. I reply to him, you sound more confident than I would be, Stephen. I'm not sure how you get the gunk out of the valleys. When you see the photo, um, you can see that the trowel legs have valleys in it and they've got black in it too. So it's not just the peaks that you want to sand, it's the valleys that I'm sort of questioning. And uh, I go on to say, I, I would come, uh, I guess it would come down to how well you would mechanically scrub the floor first. Thanks again for your input, it is always appreciated. And he finishes off by saying, yes, it would be difficult, but I can't see what you can do to correct what is there. Always difficult to correct a bad specification. My old motto, if in doubt, take it out. Stay safe, Jack. So I think Stephen is, is perhaps looking at it like let's 
We know what the problem is, it's a sealer. So let's try to prepare the floor as though we can uh, reseal it and then have a hold point at the end of that stage to see whether you could successfully prepare the floor. If you can't successfully prepare the floor, then that's where at that hold point you have a different discussion with the client and you execute plan B. Hopefully you could quote that up front so that the client understands the process that you're undertaking and when it could change. And if it does change, they'll be there to witness it and go through it and understand it. And then they'll also know upfront what the cost is if it goes to plan B. The next comment comes from Josh Jones, who you will also know from previous episodes. He's the president of Substrate Technologies, Inc. in Illinois, USA, uh, with over 29 years of hands-on experience in the concrete prep and polishing. Josh has a lot of valuable insights. I continue to say that his best trait is that he's willing to share his lessons. He, he shoots a lot of videos. They're all online. He shares the good, the bad, the ugly in an effort to, to educate us all. And I always appreciate um, Josh's effort to support the industry and of course support the, these posts and his comments. Josh's comment is good post, Jack. In the case of your pick, which I assume is for attention to a neglected floor, owners do have a responsibility to maintain the surface. For any application of a coating in brackets, pretty much true for all flooring systems, close brackets, the floor's intended use needs to be considered. For a cafe, as an example, I'd choose a product that can handle moderate abrasion, mild liquid attack, ease of cleaning, sanitizing, and slip resistance. To satisfy all of the above, I'd call the manufacturer of my choosing to help me specify the right system. Thanks again, Jack. I appreciate the post. I reply, thanks for your comment, Josh. It is probably now a case of neglect. However, I look at some of the macro and micro texturing of, finish, of the finish and question how easy it was to clean and keep clean uh, from the start. Hence my post. We have standards that categorize slip resistance. So even if you can get that, uh, so even if that can be a bit subjective, there is still a known guideline. However, if the floor can't be cleaned easily, then the slip rating can't be maintained either. I like your approach about gathering the details and engaging the manufacturer to choose a system that they feel will comply. Thanks again for your comment. Take care, Jack. So just making sure in, in Josh's comment there that we haven't forgotten something. So uh, Josh's point is right that it is the owner's responsibility to maintain the floor and thereby maintain the slip resistance and so forth um, of the floor. And it could be a case where the, the owner just can't be bothered cleaning. It could be a case that the owner didn't invest in the machinery that was suggested for them to clean it. Or it could be a case that the owner tried its, you know, his or her best and just couldn't get it clean and just gave up and let it turn to a near black floor. It could be all of those. It's hard to tell. We still sit there with the same problem where a floor is questionable and um, and what to do. The next comment comes from Mark Barry. He's a managing director of Taranis Flooring in Glasgow, Scotland, UK. Over 30 years in the industry specialising in resin flooring. I as I've said before, I hope he's no longer on the tools 
Then again, some just want to stay hands-on. Um, Mark's comment is, there's no way of knowing if there is sufficient sealer. They may have used a matte finish and there are no shy patches, but for food premises, that finish is unacceptable. There's no chance it is cleanable to a necessary standard. I reply, thanks, Mark, for your thoughts. I agree with your points. Have you ever seen a standard or guideline that provides a criteria on cleanability? Um, so firstly, Mark's point is right. We, we can't tell underneath the, the grubby finish whether it was actually sealed and it could have been a matte finish from the outset. That's a valid point as well. We don't know, um, so we can't say that it's unsealed, <coughs> uh, but uh, there's consensus there that that type of finish is unacceptable for a food premises. Uh, you just can't clean it and, uh, and hence something should have been done better. The final comment comes from Ben Arnold. Ben is the Managing Director of Majestic Concrete Coatings in Auckland, New Zealand. 12 years in the decorative concrete field. Um, and he's out running his own company now for over two years. And 12 years, this is probably what I would call a decorative concrete sort of scenario, more so than a resin floor. And his, so it's, it's good to get his input. Now his comment is, what is that seriously? Are you saying that's a cement overlay? Uh, I think there's a full stop there. I resurface concrete and can't believe there is someone out there doing this. What is going on here? Is that dirt on the overlay or question mark? I reply, thanks for the comment, Ben. I'm conscious of things I post and try to make the post something that we can all learn from. Yes, this is a cement-based overlay that probably had a sealer applied when it was done. I think the floor was too hard to clean and keep clean, so the owner was just has just given up. I understand that we don't eat off the floor, but in this case, it made me wonder if our industry needs to provide clear guidelines for slip resistance as well as cleanability. Do you agree or disagree? I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and you found it valuable and, in, and informative. This podcast was brought to you by Resin Flooring International. So go to their website, resinfloor.org. That's resinfloor.org. And you'll be able to see a post that has the corresponding images and also the profiles of the different contributors that were mentioned in this podcast. So as always, I'm Resin Jack. Take care and keep smiling.